Hey, everybody. This is Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, interviews with the living, a podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. This week, coming to us from Marin County, California, is Greg Wilker. He lives there where he does his best to remain present for his three children. He's a producer and host of two podcasts, one of them with his friend Mark, and he's slowly working on a third. He's also renewing efforts to create a career as an entertainer and performer. And as he said in his own writing, uh, one day he will die. As of his writing, he doesn't know when that day is. Um, I was on Greg's podcast with Mark and I uh, had such a great time and I cannot wait to interview him today. So with no further delays, Greg, how's it going? It is going well. Before we get into the nitty gritty of everything, I always have my guests give their age, uh, where they grew up and what generation, if any, they think they belong to. All right. I'm 61. I grew up primarily in California, Southern California till the middle of eighth grade and then northern california since then and um what generation do i belong to my generation (laughs) awesome so the who uh sums you up um yeah and you have you've had a pretty interesting career i mean i i lurked and snooped around on your life on the internet and it's it's awesome um for a good example of what i'm talking about we were supposed to record this two weeks ago, and then you got a gig on a film, and you said, hey, can we delay it by a week or two? And I was happy to do so, but um, what? how much of different media forms have you done in your career? I think you also did comedy, right? Yeah, I've done stand-up comedy, I've done acting, I've done producing, and kind of my bread and butter are websites and video editing, primarily for online formats. Um, I'm, I'm a dad. <laughs> I'm an ex-husband. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a madman in many ways. I think in a way that a creative is a mad person to a degree. Yeah, I would agree with that. I've done a lot of things, have a lot of stories to tell, but no real lucrative career to show for it all. Yeah, that's interesting because I'm 42 and I thought I would have something by now that you're speaking about. And now as I get older and meet more people like you and other awesome, interesting people, I realize that what actually matters is having fun as you go. Like I've met people who do have the thing we're talking about and they are like the antithesis of happy. I'm sure you've worked with them, <laughs> um, especially in stand-up comedy. Well, yeah, but to that, there's also people who have it and are very happy. Yeah, so I think it's a worthy pursuit until we die. And as I do understand, the cornerstone of your podcast is the other side of things. Yeah, and actually uh, working towards that and in the same conversation about what we're talking about, do you think it matters what age you, quote, get it at? Like, So let's assume that we all get this thing we want that is like our legacy. Do you care if it came when you were in your 20s, 40s, if it came now in your 60s or even later? I really don't think it matters at all. And the reason I don't is I think it, it doesn't matter at all. I think we're infinite beings, and the elements of this planet are finite. And in the big picture of things, anything finite really doesn't matter. I am so with you. And it's funny because it's, it's weird how much that resonates with me. But five years ago, I would have started arguing with you. Um, not about... <laughs> yeah. Not that we're infinite beings. That part I would have been cool with. But I would have said, no, this has to matter. But now I'm like, oh, it clearly doesn't matter. Like, it's so obvious to me in transcendental moments of my life that it just really doesn't matter. And also, I'm... As we see, like, you know, because um, you and I are, like... 
a long time ago, kids listening at home, um, in the 80s, you didn't hear about every celebrity's death. It, you heard about some, but it wasn't like this thing where people like couldn't wait to like talk about a famous person dying. And then we also had the proliferation of fame, like more and more famous people than ever in our culture, our American culture slash world culture exist. And so it's interesting to me because that seems to add to the canon of this does matter. But actually, the more I notice it happening, the more I'm like, oh, I forgot about that person. They were relevant for like a hot minute in my life and then they weren't. And so what really matters to them is what you've talked about in your bio, which is your three children, like your your relationships with other people. So I don't know if you agree or disagree, but does that resonate at all with you? It does. I, I would say probably the, the semantics of what we're both talking about and even thought about years ago, the moment does matter. And it's our happiness that's important to every moment. So if we have a moment where we're starring in something that we've always dreamed about, regardless of what it is, you know, a chef, a lawyer, an actor, whatever, that starring moment is a peak moment. And in that moment, it matters. What also matters is sort of the takeaway of individuals, you know, like in my peak moment, I'm yelling and screaming like a diva at everyone. (laughs) Well, the moments that are following that peak moment are going to be horrendous. And those, and that moment was horrendous for a lot of people. So part of my, wish, I suppose, my goal, sort of my my own cornerstone of life, is that we're experiencing happy moments and as many people as possible are happy in those moments. Wow, that's really, really profound and well said. And um, it's funny because as you were talking about these moments, I was thinking about how like before I had children, and I have two and a third on the way, um, I was told like the moment that you first hold them is like the life changing. And that wasn't true for both. What it was, it applied to everything they said applied, but it applied to a different moment, which is the first time they held my hand. The first time I felt them squeeze me with that. Like, I mean, even talking about it right now, I'm getting goosebumps. So it's just, it's interesting. Cause like, I, I honestly think like right now I would say those are like two of my peak moments. I have this like vivid memory of my son, Tyler, the first time he held my hand and Alice uh, too. And it's, it's crazy. And speaking of, of children, um, I mean, you don't have to like out them and like who they are and all that, but like, uh, how, how is child rearing for you as far as like life accomplishments? I mean, because you mentioned it first in your bio, I'm assuming it's pretty important, right? It, it's an absolute important part of my life to be a dad for these three individuals throughout their life. I mean, throughout my life, throughout, you know, however, yes. And I would say that to sum up my ideas of fatherhood, it's to be present. So whenever I'm called upon, I'm there for them to support them on their personal journey. So I do my best to really let them live their life. And I think the one positive, you know, not one, it's probably a couple, but one positive is with their mom, who, as I mentioned, is my ex. We both we're on the same page with these are individuals and they have rights from moment one and should be treated as such. So the whole thing of hierarchy in life, I think, um, crazy. That's crazy. And 
the the hard part I think as a parent is that means they're going to take their knocks, you know, and we don't want our children to be happy and challenged and all that stuff. But that's part of their journey, just as it was for us. So we need to allow for them to suffer as much as we want them to be happy. Yeah. I totally agree. And I, I uh, was going to go off on a different tangent, but I'm actually going to redirect my own mind to the the, uh, the subject of divorce, because I think um, I, I think two things in American culture we don't talk enough about are death and oddly enough divorce. And I don't mean that like you hear the word divorce a lot and you hear like 50 percent of blah, blah, blah. But what I don't think people realize is sometimes it's necessary and sometimes it's not. But like it should be discussed more, especially like I think before you get married, I think there should be more. I know Catholics have like an actual course on marriage. And I think in general, it should just be like something you're required to do before the state certifies you for something like that. But with that in mind, <laughs> with with your children, I, I'm just curious, like I felt a lot of guilt, even though I knew it was correct for us to get divorced with our kid. I still feel like guilt to this day that like they now are the kid of a divorced home, whereas I wasn't. And I'm just curious, does that ever play into your psyche? It does, but I would say that more and more I'm realizing that I worried about it more than them, <laughs> and that um, they all three say that in light of other, you know, their peers, as they hear other stories of families that divorce, that they're grateful for the way ours was the way their mom and I interacted at the beginning and kind of held space for a family in the first few years of divorcing. Um, and lastly, I'd say that probably most of the pain in the divorce is my own thoughts of family wanting to have that loving partnership, romantic partnership that in that are two people raising a family together and I think I even put a lot of um, my personal ideals of spirituality into that marriage and so when it ended and I was kind of poetically saying it was a crucifixion in my life and uh, so yeah I think right now as I talk with you I believe I'm the one who's made more of it than that makes so much sense and i can totally identify with that and then like along similar lines have you ever helped someone go through a divorce not no i can't say that i have no no one's coming to mind it's just it's interesting because i've done it twice now and it felt quote unquote 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 good only because someone helped me go through mine and so like i feel like there's just this like interesting thing in uh you know and it's funny because i usually this podcast is pretty open to like all cultures but i think the subject is pretty darn like western civ 101 but um there's there's like a stigma people are afraid of not the thing you just talked about which is the personal actual pain you're going to go through but like the rest of your life telling people you're divorced or like it comes up and you watch their face sour and like all that i don't know well what's interesting like what you're talking about culturally like, I'm still not clear how to fill out a form where it's talking about relationship status <laughs> and they're single and divorced. And I'm like, well, I'm divorced, but I'm single. Like, I don't know. How long, it's like, how long do we pay that Scarlet D on our, you know, yeah. on our 
<laughs> oh man, that's a good episode title, the Scarlet D. <laughs> um, okay, I'm totally, totally shifting the car and going into a different gear here, but I have to give you credit because when I was on your podcast, I mentioned, or you mentioned, or Mark, I don't even remember who brought it up, but uh, the book, The Course in Miracles, and special shout out to Courtney and Danny. They were the first two people to introduce me to the book, and then I bought it on their recommendation, and then it was sitting, just like staring at me for months, and then you gave me like the nudge to start it. So I'm now on day 45, I think, of it. And before I talk about my experience with it, um, what are your thoughts about The Course in Miracles, and can you kind of give like a brief description to our audience? Um, the Course in Miracles is a course with a very thick workbook, um, like text. There's a very thick text. Along with it is a workbook of daily exercises that last a year. And then there's a teacher's manual. Um, it is a um, text that was, if we believe the people involved, was kind of transmuted through the Holy Spirit to this woman, um, like automatic writing. And both her and the person who supported her in this were both psychologists. And from what I hear, they were fighting with each other like cats and dogs. And just both of them one day were like, there's got to be a better way to life than this. And then this text started coming through. So there's a lot of psychology to it, I believe, that the text itself seems to resonate with people who have that kind of train of thought. And Lastly, I'd say it ultimately is a guide to everlasting peace and happiness. The one sentence I love from it that sums it up is, and I'm going to paraphrase probably, but everything real is from God and everything unreal can't be attacked. Therein lies the peace of God. That's really well, really well paraphrased. I don't even know if it's the accurate quote or not, but that is 100%. Um, yeah, like I said, I'm in like day 40 something. So I'm in the second month of it, but, uh, the peak moments so far have been when that exact profound statement you said not only resonates, but rattles the rest of the day in my head. It absolutely is a great tool for learning about how we are our perspective and how we are the masters of our perspective in the sense that our perspective is our choice. And well, once you kind of get that, then I guess the rest of life is practicing it. (laughs) That was sort of where I was going with it. So I'm going to ask you a really absurd, but to me relevant question. While I do intuitively grok and accept the very statement you made that the only real thing is God what I have issues with is like literally right now it's uh, August 15th. As we record this, I live in Phoenix, Arizona. We have not seen rain more than like three times this year. Uh, Every single year I've been alive. I was born in 1981. Every single year there have been quote more record storms and more record weather. And I feel like I'm just going effing insane because it's like forbidden for us collectively to just admit that like, this doesn't feel right, this doesn't seem right, and even if it's not at all man-made, it doesn't seem like anyone really wants to do anything about it. And so I'm having a lot of trouble as I read this book, literally 
focusing on those thoughts. Like it, it seems easier for me to do it with my personal relationships, like to forgive my ex for things that I, you know, think she quote unquote did to me, you know, and stuff like that. But like this one thing, this like egregious environmental problem I've had since I was a little child is hard for me. So I was wondering if you could like address that and or coach me through that. Well, I would say that you know, the footnote to whatever I say is there's a human being talking. Mm-hmm. And I believe that part of our human existence is a finite existence. So it's flawed. Like I do believe that a lot of people get caught up in the word God and it's triggering in many ways. And I'd say an equal word to use is love. They'll, you know, so without going on a tangent in that realm, as we agreed to earlier, our earth is finite. The physical universe is finite. And therefore, I would say from the defining from Course in Miracles, it isn't God's creation. Or the elements we resonate with that are finite are not God's creation. Perhaps nature itself as a force is eternal. And this is a byproduct of nature. You're speaking like you're in Arizona. It's 105 degrees. There's no rain. It's miserable if you walk outside at 930 in the morning. But that statement right there, it's miserable, is the perspective. Uh And so are you willing to walk out into the dry heat of a hot, hot day and be happy? That's fascinating. That actually helps. Um... It probably doesn't sound helpful to a lot of people listening, but it actually really helps. Um, This is part of why I wanted to have you on, Greg, by the way, just to give you a a huge compliment. You're very interesting. You're very intelligent. You're very uh, adaptive to both like spirituality and just like and giggles, ha ha ha, fun time. And so I liked all that. But when you really blew me away was when we started talking about metaphysical stuff. And so it, it just really impressed me because what, first of all, I also have a stereotype growing up in the Bay Area, which is that there's a lot of fake nice people there, and there's very few genuinely nice people there per capita compared to other cities I've lived in. So it's not that there's very few nice people there. It's that people say, like, if you're going to San Francisco, be sure to wear flowers in your hair. And I'd say be sure to, like, pack protective gear for homeless defecation and random assaults from people who are angry, not at you, but at, like, some cause. And, uh, Again, lived there for 30-something years, uh, so people can write hate mail to me if they want. But you're like an exception to my stereotype rule, and you're like one of the good ones. But I don't just like spiritual people who are like mellow and like calm and all that because they're not entertaining. So when did you become this like spiritual slash like humor entertainment uh, hero? <laughs> well, you can't tell me that all night, Dad. I don't, like, I don't feel like I am a hero in this. I feel like a rank amateur. And maybe that's um, a Zen blessing to my attitude of life, that I'm always in a beginner's mind. Mm. Um, and I would say, I don't know, I've made, like, I've had some experiences in my life that were... Um, profound for me personally um 18 i was with friends that we all wanted to be rock stars and we were forming a band and giving you the reader's digest version you know one day i'm listening to 
um, sympathy for the devil out in the deck. I'm by myself. And I was like, all right, yeah, if that's what it takes to be a rock star, I'll sell my soul to the devil. And um, that kind of, to me, in my experience, was uh, the beginning of a path that went dark, really dark. Um, I would say I was crazy in for a period of time. You know, it's and it it had the stereotypical arc of the deal with the devil, where everything's going great, you're getting all your wishes, and all of a sudden it goes wrong. And and then before that, I've had experiences like when I was eleven or twelve, where there was a friend over, and there was this um, community carnival that took place. That was a church thing, and he and his family were going to go with my family. And I'd never met him before, but he said he has ESP. And I was like, oh, really? How do you do that? And he taught me that morning. And we had this experience of, like, looking into the future and also having this kind of crazy dark thing about the house. It was a two-story house that had elements of being not quite Victorian, but... it made a great haunted house on um, Halloween. Like you could, you know, it had structure and architecture that just lent itself to that. And so that was an experience that has stuck with me. And the last sort of signpost for me were like, okay, God is real. And I say that, so like I'm still an individual who's trying to figure it all out. Like, is God real? Well, what is God? And how do I fit in this whole thing? But when my father passed away, he um, was Jewish, and he wanted a traditional Jewish burial. And the body can't be left alone until it's buried in the ground. And we needed three days for his brothers to come from the East Coast. So I stayed at the mortuary um, where his body was for three days. And on the first night, they're closing up. There's someone in the office, so it's all closed down. And I'm walking around, and all of a sudden I felt weightless. And I was like, whoa, this is weird. Like, literally felt like I was floating. And I'm sort of floating along in this one direction. And you know how when a rug is laid down, like, there's sort of a direction it's laid in, and then there um, is a scene if the rug changes, you know, when you're laying carpet mm-hmm. down? Yeah, I do, yeah. So, yeah, so I hit that scene where it was going to this hallway to this other section, and all of a sudden I'm dropped on the ground, like back, landed back on the ground. I was like, wow. I don't think I was literally floating. I, it just felt that way. And I'm like, that was weird. And I turn around, all of a sudden I'm floating again. I'm like, okay, this is whack. And I'm going along, and I get to this place where they have these signs pointing to where the individuals are resting so families can come and know what direction to go see their loved one. And I kind of stops there. I'm like, okay. And I slowly am turned. That's the experience I had. I'm turned. I'm looking at these signs. And my dad's last name is misspelled. And I laughed. I went, all right, I'll take care of it. And it went away. Whoa. And... I went to the office and, you know, said, hey, you misspelled my dad's last name. I said, all right, and I corrected it. And so that is an experience that I have that has given me, so those three that I mentioned 
are all experiences profound enough to stay with me strongly and sort of be guideposts of, well, there is something more than this physical realm that we live with our five senses. And so that's a very long-winded way to say, I am imagining my hypothesis is that these experiences have lent themselves to my being open to there's more to life than the physical realm, but I don't feel I'm a master in any way. That's so interesting. That was great, by the way. Thank you. Really interesting. And I think it segues perfectly to the question we always ask every guest, which is, so what exactly do you think is going to happen to you when you die? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everyone. If you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P dot com. Thanks. It's kind of just waking up to a different realm. It's like, you know, we go to sleep, and we all have sleep experiences, and we wake up to sort of this different reality than the sleeping reality. And sometimes the line's blurred where you have a dream and you kind of wake up and you're still in that dream and then slowly you get back into this realm of planet Earth. I think it's going to be like that. Like, I'll just be like, I'll wake up and what I'm concentrating more on is um, to let go of this realm and this body as peaceful peacefully and joyfully as possible when the time comes because I've seen people fight it and that's very difficult yeah I I totally agree I did hospice uh, volunteering for a couple years and that was the biggest biggest takeaway by far the second takeaway was why I have the show which is man there's a lot of people out there who refuse to talk about death and they're the exact kind of people who should be talking about it meanwhile people like you and I I'm not even sure if we need to be talking about it more but it's certainly fun um what uh who is the you that survives this? Is it Greg or is it a different thing? That's a great question. I don't have an answer. Again, kind of going back to the hypothesis element. Um, Greg was a name given to me when I was born to my two parents. It didn't exist to this personality before that, to my knowledge. So I think it's one of the finite elements of who I am that will fall away but i don't know that's a great question yeah i mean it's yeah that i don't think uh if i ever have a guest someday who uh solves it with evidence i'll be uh this podcast will have more than paid itself off (laughs) (laughs) but uh what about like do you feel okay this is an unfair question to ask i'm sure you love your three children equally that is there's no doubt in my mind so with that said in case they're listening is there one though that you like felt familiar to differently than the other two or maybe two and not a third or I'm not even asking you to exclude one I'm just curious like do you ever feel familiarity that's like eerie or weird with people in your direct family no I no I don't have that experience nothing's coming to mind even with friends or um I'd say there's just people in my life where the experience of each other continues on and maybe it falls away and then it comes back. There's people where, you know, we could not talk for 
20 years and then we're back together. Like there's a friend of mine who passed away about a year ago now. And in high school, we were like brothers. We were just hanging out all the time, getting high, listening to classic rock. At the time, it was just rock. And um, <laughs> he, um, he, I, I recently did an episode with him before he passed. Um, and I hadn't seen him in probably 30, 40 years. And it was like sitting in his room back in high school, that ease of being. And I was just amazed by that. I was like, wow. Because yeah. I'd kind of forgotten that feeling. And there it was. I was like, I remember how easy this was back in the day. Yeah, no, that's that's so special. And I asked it because I felt it in fleeting moments with different people in my life. And it's always been this thing that made me want to believe in reincarnation. But sadly, no matter how much I try, I just kind of don't feel like the way it's talked about and perceived is how it works. So reincarnation might be real and there might be this real thing going on, but I don't think there's like any, like, like let's pretend I was Cleopatra in a past life. It wouldn't matter. <laughs> like that isn't relevant or important. So, um, so what your answer actually kind of is, is more along the lines of what I've sadly been facing the older I get, which is like the magic is just the magic. Like life is just magical. It's not, you don't have to like, search deeper for it um the love you have with your children or a best friend in high school is magic um and i can really identify with that um getting back in touch with someone and how quickly it can work out also i think going back to the meta subject of the first part of this podcast with divorce that's a, a hard thing to face too is that sometimes maybe your paths really are supposed to separate even though you at one point did share a profound love and and a family and all that so um we are we're running out of time. I always give my guests the floor at the end of the podcast to just speak about whatever they want to. It's not a time to plug your stuff. We'll have plenty of room in the notes for that. It's really just, what would you want humanity to hear? I think we've covered a lot. I guess, um, I just saw Patty Smith. Are you familiar with her? Oh, cool. Yeah. I saw her with Bodie Sunday. There was a free concert in San Francisco and she was so passionate and raw and still had her punk energy. It was brilliant. But at the very end, she just said to the whole world, really, but to the people there, be happy. And um, that, that I think, is just the best statement to live by. Be happy. I love it. And I'm going to practice tomorrow morning. I'm going to get up at 4.30 in the morning to walk my dog. And I'm going to step into the scalding, dry Arizona, weird, buggy morning. It's dark and it's hot heat. And I'm going to put a big smile on my face and I'm going to think of you, Greg. So thank you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Like I said uh, a few moments ago, uh, we'll have notes for how to find him and his multiple podcasts. Um, and if you live in the Bay Area, and Greg, if you're going to be doing stand-up, I hope people go and see you. Uh, stand-up is my favorite form of art. And yes, it's an art and it's the best and I love it. So I am uh, always, always rooting for anyone in that field. And for the rest of you who are listening, if you want to support the podcast and you have not already done so, please head over to mikeyop.com that's m-i-k-e-y-o-p-p.com and hit the big old free subscription button so that we stay in touch and uh thank you again to greg and thank you again to everyone who listens my name is mike oppenheim you have been listening to coffin talk and we will see you soon walking along when i hear this song and i walk into you